do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if I were to have, if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some have become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Father, I ask now that you would teach us Father, that we would open our hearts and we'd understand the heart of this precious Saint Paul. And yet, Father, understand the hearts that we need to have to disciple. Father, we need to understand the big picture. Father, we need to understand the involvement, the time. Father, we need to understand the heartache, the passion. Father, we need to understand the joy and the privilege. Father, we need to understand that each of us will stand before you and give an account of what we've done in the body. Father, I ask you now to lead us, to teach us, to draw us nearer, to draw us closer, to draw us in strength and power and mercy of the King of kings and Lord of lords, as we understand that it is not words, it is power. To your praise, in Christ's name, amen. This is the sixth message of this text, and I'm going to review quickly. Let's see, I'm going to watch my watch here. All right, quickly on what we've looked at to date. What you're looking at is the Apostle Paul heart as a spiritual father. Uh, if you are saved this day, you have a spiritual parent somewhere. Uh, that parent may still be involved in your life. Uh, that you may have uh, maybe a new parent, a new adoptive parent who, because of a move or things beyond your control, uh, has drawn you to a different situation. But you should have a spiritual father, a spiritual parent who is doing all six of these. And I mean that because the first thing that a spiritual parent will do is verse 15... For, for if you were to have countless tutors, if you were to have countless instructors and countless people to give you the things of God in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, the Apostle Paul says. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. One of the things about a living creature is this. It wants to reproduce. We are alive in Christ. There should be a heart's desire, a heart's passion to reproduce, to make offsprings. Uh, have you ever seen new Christians? Have you ever seen? I mean, I'm not talking about that liver quiver Christian. I'm talking about those people who have come face to face with the holiness of God and what he did on the cross. I liken them to puppies. Okay, that you ever seen puppies that they sit there and wag their tail and they're jumping and eating and everything. 
they do have a tendency to, to wee-wee all over everything, but they are truly excitable, aren't they? What does a new Christian have a, just a whoa to do? To share. With who? Everybody, anybody in the checkout line, they will get stuck in traffic and roll the window down. Do you know who Jesus is? And they just go, and they don't know who Jesus is. They are just excited that they are not going to hell. They have been saved, and they're just going to be, oh, this is great. Okay? My responsibility is to put a choker chain around them, pull them in tight, and say, sit, sit, sit. Okay? And, and teach them when, go to the bathroom outside. All right? But there is that desire to have. Have more. Let me share with you what I have. All right? The Apostle Paul literally birthed the church in Corinth. You've got to understand that. When Paul went to Corinth, there were no believers. There were no believers. Nobody, nobody knew who Jesus was. Nobody knew about that cross down in Jerusalem. They had no idea of redemption of sin. Absolutely not mentioned. That's hard to do in our neighborhood, isn't it? I mean, everybody knows who Jesus is, and they've all created him in their own image. But it's, it's a simple question. Do you love Jesus? And you say, yeah, well, how, how often do you read your Bible? Well, I don't read my Bible. Then you don't love Jesus. It's no, no problem. I don't have any problem at all saying that. Why? Because if I have a love for the Word, then I have a love for He who is of the Word. How can I say I love Jesus if I just don't want to know about Him? That's what young people do. Okay? Girls, this is all for you. When the guy comes up and tells you, I don't love you for your looks, I love you for your mind, he's lying. He's lying. I've never, ever in 46 years met anybody who loves anybody's mind. They love one thing. All right? But yet, that's how many do with Christ. I love you. I just don't want to know anything about you. Is that love? I got 66 love letters from he who spoke existence into being. How many of them love letters you ever read? It's that simple. Okay? Well, girls, if uh, you were to continue to send that boy love letters, and then one day you happen to wander in there and found out that not one of them buggers was open, would you believe he loved you? I would after I hit him in the head. <laughs> right? But yet, how many of us have a relationship with Jesus Christ that's similar to that? Why? Because out of that, I will be warned Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but I admonish you as my beloved children. Why? I warn my kids. Kids, you ever had your parents tell you something and you just seemed kind of stupid to you? You don't have to acknowledge your mom or dad may be next to you. I understand how that works. I can tell when you all go like this. My parents are all wise, pastor. Okay? The reason that they do and don't you to death is that it is for your own safety. You know one of the things that amazes me in our society today? We do not honor elderly people as a society. We have nursing homes. Uh, oh, sorry. Assisted living facilities. Why? 
Why do I see churches who want to gather their age group? I need to, you know, I'm a 20, we got all them things. I don't keep up with that. Gen Xers and X Geners and, and all them other things. Why? I need more people my age. Why? So we can all be idiots together. You know, I was talking with Dr. Olford one time and he talked about Japan. And Dr. Olford has white hair. Okay, and so does Heather. And when he goes to Japan, no matter where he's at, the people get out of the way and open the doors for him. They make sure if they're getting on the subway, he gets on first. If he's getting into the cab, uh, a cab ride or something like that, he is first. If they get ready to load the airplane, everybody says, no, you go first. Why? It's not because they know he's a preacher. It is because of what? His white hair is a sign of what? Wisdom. Wisdom. See, the, the, the key to this thing is this. If they've lived long enough to get white hair, they've been through more than you have. But see, we have this ability. Winston Churchill quoted it. One of the things we've learned from history is that we do not learn from history. Why? Because our pride believes that I have the ability. I've got this all figured out. What do you know? That's why I try to encourage young people, get involved with older people. Why? They've been there. They've done that. Not only that, you encourage the older people. I mean, I I remember Henry Piontek, God rest him. uh, His greatest concern for the body of Christ is nobody loved the body of Christ. Here's a man who was imprisoned for World War II, survived the Bataan death march, and his greatest passion was the bride of Christ. Uh, at one point in time, he was ill and couldn't be with the fellowship, and he said that it's not, and him and Ruth Henry both, was, it wasn't that they weren't being fed, they can read their Bibles themselves. It was the fellowship of the saints that they missed. And that was the thing that was hurting him. And he says, and what has happened is, is that the society that is coming up behind them have absolutely no dependency or need in the body of Christ. That's a warning. He says, I don't bring this out to shame you. I'm not going to take you out and, and, and rebuke you publicly where everybody can see. I'm doing this because you need to change. You need to change. Now, let's be realistic. You look at chapter 5 and he talks about a man who has his father's wife. And this man needs to be set out of the church. That's what the letter says. Okay. Now, do you understand that this letter would have been read among the church? How would you like to have been sitting back there thinking you're fat and sassy having your father's wife and everybody's kind of encouraging you in it because you're free in Christ and you're doing everything well and the glory of Jesus and, and we're saved and life is good and all of a sudden you get this letter from the Apostle Paul and it says this man needs to be sent out of the church. I would be embarrassed. Not only would I be embarrassed, anyone who would encourage me in saying it's okay, they would have been embarrassed. But at some point in time, warning, understanding that I'm looking for the better things is there. Why? Because 14b says you are beloved. You are beloved. The Apostle Paul makes a statement in the end of this, in in his second letter, that I would gladly, by my love, who God knows my love for you, that I would gladly be spent and expended for your sake. Let me ask you a question. When you look around this body of believers, would you, any given saint in this body, gladly be spent and expended for that person? 
The Apostle Paul says, the Lord knows my heart and he knows that I would. Why? Because my overwhelming love for you is easy to be spent and expended on your behalf. Right? I told my kids, my two oldest, that I would pay for four years of college. Four years of college. And it isn't because I'm rich. I have to make great sacrifices to pay for my kids to go to school. Why? Why? Am I figuring maybe I'll win the lotto? Why would I be willing to send my kids to school and pay for it? Okay, now let me ask you a question. Can you transfer that into the body of Christ? Because he uses a term here, you are beloved, you are my beloved, and it's a literal term that says that you are in such a way moved unto me that I am willing to do anything necessary for your best. Now this is a church, you've got to understand who these people are. Okay, I, I heard, heard a guy's prayer, 27 of these pastors who was out here, two of them at the point of their departure to Tulsa have been asked to leave their churches. Okay? And a lot of it is based on what's going on in the lands of Russia. All right? And I heard a guy praying for the one guy, and he's saying, Lord, I pray for these poor pastors who have been bitten by the sheet that the wounds don't become infected. <laughs> I thought, there's an interesting concept. <laughs> I said, but sheep tend to kick. Uh, we won't go into that. But I, how often is it that someone in the flock, some saint, affects you in a way that you feel like you've been sheep bit? What's your response? Lamb chops, right? Isn't it? No, you guys are more holier than me. Mine is lamb chops. I don't know what yours are. Maybe you like leg of lamb. Okay, but in that, when the sheep that God has entrusted you with, what's your response when that sheep tries to kick you or bite you? And maybe they're successful. What's your response? I'm going to cut that wool short this year, huh? Paul, literally, you will find in, in 2 Corinthians that literally Paul does get back to the church in Corinth. And when he gets back, a group stands up and brings accusations against the Apostle Paul formed this way. He teaches the message of grace so that the single women of the church will give him sexual favors. They stand up and accuse the Apostle Paul of that. And guess who stands up and defends him? No one. No one. And yet he says, I would gladly, as you are my beloved children, be spent and expended on your behalf. Okay? Why? Because there in verse 16 and 17, I want you to be exhorters. I, I exhort you to be imitators of me. It literally means mimics. I want you to mimic me. I want you to mimic me. That's amazing. But do you see what we're seeing? See, look what you just developed. This is discipleship. This is it. You can't shortcut any of this. All right? That's why in America we don't make disciples, and I'll show you why. All right? In, in our last point, I'll show you exactly.
exactly why. We don't make disciples. It is not a practice, a normal practice in the body of Christ in the United States, period. I can say that safely, and I can show you why with the last portion of the text. But I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Why? He says, I want you to be as I am. All right? And then he makes this most profound statement. I'm sending Timothy to you to prove to you that I make disciples. Why? Because Timothy is an imitator of me. I want you to be as I am, and I'm going to send Timothy to you. That's just mind-boggling. To be able to say, at this point in time, due to schedule conflicts, I'm not able to meet this appointment, I will send a person in my place who is identical to me. You grab that? That, that thing gets... Do you understand that what's going on there? First of all, I have to know that person well enough to know that they're exactly like I am. Now, do you understand what I mean by that? Okay. It doesn't mean that they're this high, they have a beard and a mustache, and, and that they... It means that when it comes to the things of God, they are as I am. Okay. To use a word today that you would hear... I am obsessed with the things of God. And for me to know, to send someone in my place, I have to know that that person is obsessed with the things of God. Okay? So there's the relationship between Paul and Timothy would have to be so intimate and so binding that the Apostle Paul would be safe to say, I can send this person in my place. But you would also have to have a person who has come in and wants to be involved in such a way. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in his last letter he ever wrote, he says, find faithful men and teach them the things that I have taught you. Okay? What was the Great Commission? Teach them the things that I have taught you. All right? That is part of what is missing in our society. We're trying to do everything technically. You know, I'm going to do it by email. I'm going to do it by radio. I'm going to do it by television or video. Or I'm going to do it by uh, some kind of crazy thing. You know what you lose? A relationship. How do you know? How do you know that that person is walking what he's taught? Because there's an involvement that exists there. But he says, I want you to be an imitator of me. How do you do that? Verse 17, for this reason I sent to you Timothy. All right, why? He will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. What? Just as I teach in every church. You have to do that teaching. Here's what is, here's my passion for Castle Rock Baptist Church. People say, I think maybe you got too many things going on at times. No, I don't. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I need some of you people to get night jobs so I can start teaching you during the day. Okay? I've got some great chunks of opportunity during the day that you're missing out on. All right? Stephanie says, yeah, right. I was doing fine and then you made me work. But why? Because you have to teach it. Right. The only way that you're ever going to arrive is that you get the teaching. Before you can teach, what has to happen first? You have to be taught. Well, I can read the Bible. Then why did the Jesus Christ say, I will give the body of Christ gifted 
teachers for what? Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Got it? So you see how it all works? But if you're not around to be taught, then what are you doing? I know what you're doing. You are Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. Didn't you? I know. Preach, brother. You can't sing. All right? Because if I'm taught, I will move into teaching. If I'm teaching, I am applying because Christ will never allow you to teach if it doesn't apply to you. Why? That's the greatest hypocrisy that exists. That's the greatest hypocrisy that exists. If it doesn't apply to me, how do I teach it? I mean, go ahead and tell your kids, I don't want you to do as I do, do as I say. How beneficial is that? Okay? Not at all. All right? If I'm taught it is applying to me, then what is happening? I'm setting an example. And then God will bring to you faithful men or women. Why? Because now you're not shaming him. Too many times we think we should teach and we're shaming him. You can't. You can't. So you focus that example. Why? I've been taught. I've been taught. Not only have I been taught what I've taken, I apply it. It just, I take it, it boom, and it's there and I'm ready. All right? Now then, I want to conclude this message with the sixth point, verses 18 through 21. All right? Because I need to take you back a few, I guess it would be a few years, huh? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12. The the context of what we would look at begins in verse 3. I'm just going to read it quickly and kind of give you an overview of it, but then I want to just hammer hard right there, verses 7 and 8. All right, he says this, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right, he just talked about Jesus who, despising the shame of the cross, being mocked by Gentiles and Jews alike, by the very creatures that he created, he was shamed, mocked, humiliated, and crucified. All right, and he says, consider him. When you are, some people are making fun of you, when people are laughing at you, when people maybe even become hostile to you, consider him who receives such hostility. All right, and then he quote, he says this, <clears throat> I don't want you to grow weary, and I don't want you to lose heart. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt weary in your walk with the king? Have you ever lost heart? Uh, I've shared with a, uh, my wife, and my, bless her, um, you have got an extra bunch of crowns putting up with me. I know you have. Um, she, they got a little thing of crowns just for being with Terry. Um, <laughs> There's times that, that I, I get overwhelmed with frustration. And, 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 and I, 
And I understand my position. I understand what I deal with. But I deal with people who, well, my uncle died and he went to hell and my wife left me and my dog bit me and, and I lost my job and I didn't get a job and I didn't do this. And, and we, I got all of this going on and, and then I fell into sin and again and again and again and again. And you didn't fail into sin. You never got out of it. But, uh, you know, and stuff like that goes on. All right, and you get that. And, and everybody's, I ain't going to call him ever again. Goes, no, I didn't mention any of yours. Alright. But here, here's what happens. There's times that I find myself saying, my God, give me a victorious saint. And my wife comes up and says, yo, knucklehead, how about this and 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 this? I forgot. She said, yeah, you did. Don't worry. I'm praying for you. Alright. Why? Have you, verse 4, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and striving against your sin. <laughs> you know, 99% of the problems that the saints of God in this church have is your sin. It sneaks up on you. It's Tom's sin. Okay? But we pray for Tom. But do you understand that? Why? Just think about what your mind does. Grab it. Your mind just takes off in little places, doesn't it? And you start getting into that little bitty, they call it a pity party, don't we? If this person had done that or if this would have happened, you know, I was supposed to teach a Bible study while the pastor was gone and two people came. I just can't believe only two people came to my Bible study. Uh, Better than me. I've had Bible studies and nobody showed up. Okay? What happened? Well, if you want to give the biblical narrative of it, they call it grumbling. Which really isn't that big a deal unless you're Jewish because when they grumbled against God, 25,000 of them just died. Minor detail. All right? But you think about the troubles and the heartaches that we endure. How much of it is self-inflicted? Why? Because there's times have we, have we resisted our sin to the point of shedding our blood. See, it's easy for me to shed your blood for their sin. Right? Isn't it? Think about it. The words were very specific. It's easy for me to shed your blood for their sin. Am I willing to shed my blood for my sin? You know what that means, right? I'm willing to forsake it and resist it and run away. Do you understand that? How many times do we don't want to run away, let alone shed some blood? I think I can handle this. Oh, (laughs) anyway, let's read on. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges. Wait a minute. That there is, you want to, I'll give you the vanilla. That's corporal punishment. All right, in case she's wondering. I whoop your butt, is the way my grandpa would say it. All right, he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure, and God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are with Look what it says. Without discipline, of which all have become partakers, 
then you are what? Illegitimate children, not sons. Okay? You know what I just said there? If you're a child of God, what is a guaranteed promise? You ever seen them little promise books of Jesus? Ever seen those? These are the promises of God. You know what? That one ain't in them. Because <laughs> that there says it's a promise. What's the promise from God? Huh? You guys? When I was in school, high school, they still had the, the board of persuasion. Okay? And I had a, a, a gym teacher. Can't remember his name now. Kearns. Mr. Kearns. Uh, young man. Well, at that time, he was a young man. He's probably an old man now. I like to find him now. I owe him one. Uh, but I did something, probably deserve it. I know I was innocent at the time, but probably somewhere down there. And I remember one time he and I was doing one of them things, and he hit me and raised my feet, both feet up off the ground. And I thought, wow, <laughs> don't do these things to the gym teachers. You want the old woman English teacher. She can't hurt you. This guy can set you into an out-of-body experience, right? You know what happened from that? I don't cross the gym teacher, right? I got spanked by my dad one time. Me and my brother were engaged in some seriously very intense sibling rivalry, okay, to the point of murder, okay? Whoever will survive will survive. And my dad was a Marine. And you ever seen them web belts that are about like that? To have the little holes in them that you can hang canteens and pistols, holders and holsters and all that. Them web belts are about like that. They're double laced. And you can hang like an a, a engine, a motor off of one. All right. My dad used that belt on me one time. My dad never had to spank me ever again. When my dad said stop. There weren't even black marks. You got it. And if he said, I need you to go do that, you got it. Why? He only had to discipline me with that thing one time. One time. The writer of Hebrews is saying, do you understand that the God will discipline you? I promise. I promise. Why? Because you have a tendency not to deal with your sin to the point of shedding your own blood. Don't, we don't. It goes all the way back to chapter 3. When we sin, what is our response? Every single time. What is our response? You made her. It was the snake. Don't we? When I sin against God, whose fault is it? Somebody else's. Had to be. I'm a saint. And you say, well, I just don't understand. I've been in uh, um, what they call public housing, where you go before a judge and he tells you what you did wrong. We have the most corrupt judicial system on the planet Earth. I have never in the, oops, in the time that I have been in places like that, I have never met anybody in there who is guilty. We are arresting every innocent person in the world. Nobody in jail has ever done anything. How can we have how can we be that blind? Why? It's not my fault. 
It's not my fault. And yet, if you get out of line, do you like to be confronted? Anybody here rejoice when you're out of line? I know one who does. I do. I have a whole bunch of people who tell me things when I'm doing them wrong. I may have too many. We won't go there either. Do you like being confronted? I'll make this easy. Do you like confronting? You guys aren't, nobody, I ain't acknowledging nothing. (laughs) He's got notes up here. I haven't even seen him turn his page and I ain't saying a word. (laughs) Because I'm going to agree with him. Why? Just in case he confronts me. I shared with you that illustration about the guy who came to a, a church, a pastor, who was the, had been the founder and the uh, uh, president of Queer Nation, a militant homosexual organization in Los Angeles. And he came to salvation. He was full-blown AIDS. He was in his last, I think, about nine, ten months of, of, of death. Uh, and, and he made the statement. He says that, you know, I come to your Bible studies. I get fired up. I love Jesus. I read my Bible and I worship and I sing and it's great. And this is wonderful. I'm taking the gospel to the homosexual community. And da 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 And he says, but Monday night, Tuesday night, Friday night, Saturday, I start thinking about all the things I've done. And it starts stirring me up. And sometimes I keep thinking, you know, that I'm under the grace of God. Why can't I go back and do that? My time's short. Why can't I have that? And he says, man, it's driving me crazy. It's just, it's just like I'm being torn apart. So the pastor said, here's what I want you to do. And he lays out a little notebook for him. And he says, every time you get one of them thoughts, I want you to write down that thought on that notebook. Okay? Just write that thought out on that notebook. And when you come back next week, we'll go through and see what we can do biblically to overcome that. All right? Next week, that guy shows up. And he says, all right, let's see your notebook. And he opens it up, and there's nothing in it. And he says, what? Why didn't you write anything down? He says, I was so afraid to see you and to tell you what was going through my mind. I didn't have any thoughts at all. Why? I'm going to be confronted. I'm going to be confronted. Now think about that. Now it's easy for us to look at a guy who's the head of Queer Nation saying, yeah, well, I bet he'd have had a notebook. Let me ask you a question. How well do you do with Forgiveness. How well? When someone does something against you, how well do you say, no problem? Or does it lay back under there? I forgive you. But don't turn your back on me. (laughs) I didn't get you. I owe you one here, but I love you. You know, I've told you this, right? When people come into my office and they say, I want to first and foremost tell you how much I love you. I know I'm getting ready to get stuck. Okay? And they're not going to use anesthetic or anything like that. They're just going to stick it in there and say, see, I love you. (laughs) Right? But you think about what grace has been given to you on behalf of forgiveness towards you. And how, who can't you forgive? How many times do you get into this battle that you think about this person who's in this, in this cult or he's in this false religion and you just want to choke them, Right? Why? I can't believe you're teaching. I can't believe you're... You know what? Your, your battle is not against what? Flesh and blood? It's against principalities and powers? 
How many times do you know an unbeliever and you try to share them with the love and mercy and tenderness of Christ and they just spit on you, they mock you, they tell you you're a goof, uh, they get on you or things like that and all these other things happen and you just get all ticked off about it and then you can't understand why they act the way they were and yet that was your very nature? How do you expect lost people to live for Christ? That's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Why? We have to confront it. Now, I confront it in the, in the area of the church. Why? You claim the name. Do you know where Christian came from? Antioch, Syria. Do you know what it meant? What did it mean? When you look in a mirror, do you see little Christ? Who are you imitating? Who do I imitate? Because you're taking a name. And if you don't imitate it, as a spiritual parent, what should the spiritual parent do? Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to use parent now for the conclusion of this because it is the responsibility of the body of Christ to do what? Discipline. We discipline. We discipline. When I discipline my children, I do it because I want to see a change in their life. Okay, what they're doing, you're going down this path, this is wrong, I need you to change this thing over to here, okay? You can't discipline a child if they don't know. Did you know that? Did you know that? I I always thought about this. My uh, my dad and my grandpa kind of taught me how to to, to deal, uh, handle firearms and all that stuff. They're the ones that told me that if you you hand a gun to somebody or someone, if I hand a gun to somebody, one of the things I'll always do is I'll pull the chamber open where the bullets goes in, okay? So that you can look in there, whether it's a handgun and, and you, you kick the, the cylinder out, a revolver, or if it's an automatic, you can slide the, the, it back this way. If it's a rifle, you kick it back. So they can look and see no bullets, okay? And they just taught me that. And then I remember my dad and my grandpa both told me this. You never point the end of the gun at something that you don't plan on, and they use this word, you don't plan on destroying it. Okay, now that sounds a little different, doesn't it? I mean, you, you see the movies and they're shooting and John Wayne shoots and Audie Murphy shoots and, and all them other people shoot. So you don't really pay enough attention to it. But my grandfather and my dad said, you don't point that unless you plan on destroying it. And that word always just stuck with me. Destroy it. Destroy it? All right. But that stuck with me. And guess what? I never destroyed anything that I didn't plan on it. All right, I can't expect a child to handle a firearm like that unless what? You teach them. I remember one time that we took a, a 55-gallon barrel, a drum, and we filled that bugger about half full of water. Okay, and, and we took a rifle, I don't remember what caliber it was, and I shot the top half of it and punched a hole through it about like that big around, and it came out about that big around in the back. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. All right. So they said, here, take another shot. So I took another shot, but I aimed down. 
Okay? I aimed down where the bullet would go into the water. All right? When I shot that barrel, it punched a hole about like that. That 55-gallon barrel of water left the ground and jumped about that high. But I think about the size of my little finger and literally blew out the back of it. Okay? And I went, whoa. Now, what does that mean? Well, the water and the dynamics and the physics, all that other stuff. Do you understand that your body's about 90% water? Shoot it with a bullet and see if you destroy it. That stuck. That, I mean, that was like, you talk about word pictures. I'm like, that's a word picture there. And I learned something very valuable. Now, how would I expect kids to know better than that if I don't tell them? Don't discipline somebody if they don't know. This is one of the things that, uh, that we de- you have to be careful with when you're dealing with saints of God. What if you have an infant in Christ? Okay, use the picture that is used in John's, 1 John's picture, and it says that they're a baby. And, and I mean, a baby that is just kind of mobile on the ground. All right? If you have that little baby on the ground that can just kind of grow around all over the floor and kind of ooze and roll and flip and crawl and all them other things, what will that baby put in its mouth? Well, why did it do that? Because it doesn't know. So how, when I discipline a Christian, when a Christian is to be disciplined, you can't discipline them on the basis of something they don't know. Now back it up. If I'm an imitator and that little baby has been watching me, what would they be doing anyway? Reading their Bible, praying, and being faithful to being taught and teaching, right? So you see how that big picture all just kinds of spools together? And discipline is the last recourse. Why? The Apostle Paul says there, some of have become, and he uses that word, uh, puffed up. I think King James calls it, New American Standards calls it arrogant. Okay? Um, puffed, I love the terminology. Paul is a master of word pictures. When it's done, when you've done everything that you can do that is right, you have taught, you have applied, you have been an imitator, and they're following. When you've done all of that, okay, then you have to confront them if they're not going to hear you. All right? Why? Because he uses the term when a frog, if you ever watch a frog croak, it swells up great, big, huge. I think about them big bullfrogs down in southern Ohio along the Miami, little Miami, big Miami River. We used to, ah, uh, never mind. But anyway, great, big, huge. I mean, they get that big around. And then what happens? Big old nasty noise comes out. And they go back to the regular size, right? But if you see them at the point of they're getting ready to croak, what do you see? This great, big, huge frog. And then all of a sudden it goes, whoop. And it's back down to nothing. That's the term that he's using to describe some of the Corinthians. You look big and tough, but you're full of hot air. You got great words, and it's obvious they have no apparent meaning in your life. You look big, but you're not. You're not. It's now remember where we're at from our text. Our text says they've been dealing with what? Human wisdom and philosophies. Well, you know, I believe that if we do this, 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 and this, this will be the outcome. And they've also hooked on to personalities. You know, I've been taught by Apollos. 
well, that's nothing. I've been hanging out with the people of Cephas, and, you know, I just stand under the teachings of Christ. What is that? A bunch of frogs! What? You are boasting on what? Words. What power is behind it? The Apostle Paul is in Ephesus. He's planted churches in Ephesus, Lystrum, Derby, Thessalonica, Philippi, the Bereans, Athens, Corinth. Need I go on? Fro- Paul is not a big puffed up frog. He has power. When he preached to the church in Thessalonica, he says, I came to you not with words, but with power from on high. Have you ever heard people preach that have no power behind them? I have. I have. You know what? They have really cool stories, though. They do. I've heard some of these. Man, that's a dandy. I remember, I don't want to mention names, but he was talking about his wife in an elevator under makeup. I don't remember what he was teaching on and how her makeup made her beautiful. And all I can think is, well, your wife ain't listening to this, is it? Because basically what you're saying is that unless she paints on a lot of stuff, she ain't any fun to look at. <laughs> I mean, that's what I got from the message. I don't, you know, and I was thinking, I hope his wife ain't in the crowd because he may want to leave through the back door. Okay. But I don't remember what the message was, but it's really cool. And then he, he, he left it with this, this, this talking about getting up even when you're ugly and all the rest of it. And he used, uh, uh, out of the, one of the Rocky, the Rocky Balboa, get up, you bum! Now listen, if you're giving me spiritual truth and the only thing I can remember is get up, you bum! Something's wrong! Something's wrong. Why? Use words. Where's the power? Why? Use a frog. Big bullfrog just went, Bleh. you know, you look very intimidating at first. Paul says, look what he says here. These bullfrogs, they think they're bullfrogs. They get really cocky. Why? As though I were not coming to you. How about that? How about that? Let me tell you another thing about bullfrogs. When they're sitting on the lily pad, Okay, they swell up great big on that pad, get about twice or three times their normal size, make all that noise. What happens if you go out towards it? What happens if you go out towards it? It leaves. But what does it do first? It has to relieve itself of all that air that it swelled itself up with, doesn't it? Why? Ain't got no power. Ain't got no power. And Paul says, you're sitting there all puffed up, swelled up like you're somebody because you don't think I'm coming. What happens when you see me face to face? See the difference in that? You've all heard this. You've all, you all know the vernacular for that illustration right there. Okay, there ain't a person in this room, I guarantee it doesn't know the, vernac- the, the same illustration of this. Here's how it sounds. You've all heard it. Y'all ready? Wait till your father comes home. Huh? Everybody heard that? Not only have you heard it, some of us have used it. <laughs> no way. Wait till your father... What are we looking at? 
spiritual parent, the Apostle Paul. What is he saying? You're all puffed up. You're talking a bunch of blowhards. Wait till your father comes home. You're buying into human philosophy, human wisdom, human systems. You're buying into personalities. You think this person is better than this person. I've already told you that all these teachers are for all of you. They're all your teachers. And now you're walking around, what is it Wayne says? You're so proud you can strut sitting down. But wait till your father comes home. Ain't that right? Ain't that right? Dad can take and make, give a whole new definition of humility, can he? I'm coming shortly. He makes a statement as <clears throat> if the Lord wills in verse 19. Okay, now you need to understand something about that statement. All right. Do you know when he wrote the book of Rome, Romans? Do you know where he was? Corinth. Okay. He's in Ephesus. Get your little map out. What's wrong with that picture? He told the Romans, I want to come with you to bear fruit. What's wrong with that picture? He's going the wrong way. <laughs> Okay, you have Italy, you have Greece, you have Asia Minor, all right? He's here, this church is in Corinth, Rome is over here, Ephesus is over here. He's writing the letter to the church in Corinth from where? Over here. He wrote a letter from Corinth to Romans saying, I'm going to come to you shortly if the Lord wills. You're going the wrong way, Paul. Why? Because the Lord hadn't willed it yet. He gets to go to Rome. It's just not quite the way he planned it. Actually, from the time of the writing of the Corinthian letters, you're looking at five years. But he did get to go to Rome. Again, it wasn't quite like he planned it. And he tells the church in Corinth, I'm coming. I'm coming. Look what he says here. I'm going to come to you soon if the Lord wills, verse 19, and I shall find out. It literally means I'm going to expose this. Okay? What's he going to expose? The words of those who are arrogant, but their power. He's not worried about what they're saying. He's worried about what they're doing. You see that? Not what they're saying. Listen, I know people right now who have the same, if they they were to spout the doctrine that I spout, they would say the same thing, absolutely the same thing. Absolutely the same thing. Let me ask you a question. What power is behind it? What power is behind it? Let me give you an illustration from uh, Tulsa to the Tulsa meeting. The people of SGA have said, we want you who have been faithful to what the doors opened in Russia, Okay, you who have been faithful to that ministry, we want you to set the parameters and the movement to establishing the body of Christ in Russia. Okay? The church that we visited was Tulsa Bible Church. That church has 500 members. Okay? When they began in 1992 with Slavic Gospel Association, that's 71. Okay? They've gone to 500, and they will all tell you emphatically it all happened when they went to Russia. Okay? And what I mean, I'm not talking about the pastoral staff. When the people got involved and saw what was going on in Russia, they came back. And guess what happened to them? <laughs> they started sharing the gospel with their neighbors. Wonder why? Because they saw the power of the gospel in Russia. They saw the power of God working through them instead of us having some system. 
All right? What was amazing about the 27 churches represented there besides Tulsa Bible Study or Bible uh, Church, okay, that church had 500. The largest church numerically is 152 members. They're all about 120, 150. And why would you, if you're going to reach 11 time zones, would you go to little bitty dinky churches? Why would you do that? Why don't you go to the big churches? They've got money. They've got resources. They've got human beings. I mean, they were talking about this. We sent 37 teachers over for one year in SBI, Strategic Bible Institutes. I said, I sent 37 teachers. We ain't got no church. Okay, not only that, I think I'm in the negative somewhere. I'm, I'm out <clears throat> drafting people. Why would you go and get small churches? I know why. It's not words. It's power. It's power. Here's what happens when great big churches, mega churches, they become self-sufficient. They can do it. Why? Well, they have the resources. Where there's dependence. Paul says, you talk a great game, guys, but I'll find out who's real. I'll find out who's real. Not just talking, okay? See, this this discipline is important. I'm coming, and I'm going to check some things out. See, it's easy for me to meet with you on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon or something like that. We can all put on our spiritual garb for a little while, can't we? How are you going to do it at 5 a.m. when the world is getting ready to take you on head on? How are you doing spiritually? See, love that Paul is showing here is not blind sentiment. I'm coming to check some things out. I'm coming to see. And the love that Christ has called us to says, I will discipline when it is necessary. Here's what, uh, it's a quote, because I've got it in quotations, and, but I'm sorry, I don't know who said it. <laughs> so it's a quote, it's not mine. All right? An undisciplined child belongs to a parent who is too selfish to love that child. Did you get that? An undisciplined child belongs to a parent who is too selfish to love that child. Okay? Now then, I told you that the church in America does not make disciples. All right, grab this now. True spirituality, if everyone who is a Christian, think about this now, this isn't a new country, it isn't newly exposed to the gospel, has been, that Christian has been led to Christ. Somebody somewhere led you to Christ. I don't care who it is, right? I got that blank stare. Uh, Christ led what? I mean, it might have been at Billy Graham. It might have been, um, you know, when I think about my profession of faith, there was nobody there with me when I asked Jesus to save me. But I can show you a whole long list of people who kept going that way, going that way, going that way, that I look back on who led me to Christ, right? True Christians, everybody has somebody has led them to Christ. All right. Let me ask you a question. 
Why aren't we all mature? Let me tell you something. If you got saved when you were 8 or 10 or something like that, you should be an absolute astounding pillar of holiness and the ways of Christ. Are you? You know why not? Because someone who has led who led us to Christ or someone along the way hasn't cared enough to bring us to the place or maybe they would di- discipline us for some of our actions. All we wanted to do is get people saved, get a number of baptisms for the year, and how many people have I got on the church rosters? How many people have I got on the church rosters? It may not have been your spiritual parent, but there are Christians who have been in your life along the way who have not taken the time to say what you're doing is a sin and you are breaking fellowship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. I thank my God that I've had people who discipline me spiritually. Spiritually. You know what? And some do, and they never know they didn't. Did you know that? Uh, I'll give you an illustration of that. I had a cousin who, him and his wife made a profession of Christ. They're back in where I grew up at in Ohio. <clears throat> had an opportunity to go back there. I was dealing with another situation. And on my flight out, I was asking, I said, Lord, I'm here. My hands be about your word, your work. My feet be on the exact path that you want me to. But Lord, let me minister as you would have me minister. Let me have the words from on high. Pour through me your love, your compassion, your power, your wisdom, so that all may know that I am a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what I asked. I remember exactly what I asked. All right, I got to meet with my cousins. It was a wonderful time. They were all excited, and they were one asking 20 questions, second coming, first coming, da 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 and all the rest of it. And uh, my cousin, <clears throat> she asked me something. But anyway, I brought up, I made the statement of the deity of Christ. Okay, and she looks at me and she says, what does that mean? Okay. Now here's the guy who said, let me have the words of heaven and the power of heaven and the wisdom of God. Walk where you want and my hands be about your word. You know, all that's really pious stuff. And here's what thought went through my head. How stupid are you to not know what deity means? See, that saint of God disciplined me, and she didn't even know she did it. Okay, now I know you guys are way more holier than that. And that was when I was young. That was two weeks ago. But, no, just kidding. True spirituality is that I'm going to grab this child, and I'm going to do what? I'm going to teach it. All right, I'm going to show that child how to apply it. And when that child struggles with applying it, what am I going to do? I'm going to discipline. And I thank God. You know, I think about my wife. She's probably my greatest disciplinarian. She speaks loudly and smacks hard. Um, but you know what? Bless her heart. She knows when I need it. Okay? Now, some of you think you know when I need it, but you don't. <laughs> and that's all right. <laughs> I pray for you. Not telling what either. <laughs> all right? But do you understand that? Why? My relationship with my wife is such that she knows that uh, he's gone down on this little ditch thing. I need to fix him. The elders in this church, they discipline me. They say, well, this don't sound right. You need to kind of and bring that back. 
All right, you who are here on the in the Bible studies, and you who are here in the, in the you know the precepts, not so much, but that Wednesday night one, that's an interactive, more Bible study. You have an ability to straighten me out. Paul is saying, I am going to find out which of you are all talk and which of you really manifest the power of God. And it takes discipline to do that. God does not pour his power through undisciplined saints. Why? They embarrass him. I seen a bumper sticker on the back of, of a, somebody's truck. And I thought, how appropriate. All right? And it said this. I believe in God and I love God. It's his fan club I hate. And I look at some of the fan club and said, Amen. The kingdom of God is not words, but it's power. See, it's not an issue of words. Who can use the greatest terminology? A man's true character is not determined by his words, but it's determined by the divine power that is seen in his life. I made a statement the other shortly ago that we were, my, me and my wife were discussing a thing and we were, she was trying to be encouraged about some of the things she was dealing with. And I told her I was discouraged about this situation. And she said, why? I said, they claim holiness, but I don't see it. I don't see it. Okay, you know, I, we had spent some time with, in the situation and I said, I don't see God's holiness. I see verbiage. I see speaking the right things. I don't see holiness. Here's the greatest shunner of holiness, human pride. Pride is what condemned us in the garden. Why? I can do it. It's not the words, brothers and sisters. It is, have I bowed to the power? Now listen, as you're starting to evaluate other people and, and you start looking at the examples, some of you have come under my teaching as, as you want me to be an example. Or maybe you don't want me to be, but you don't know it. I am an example unto you. All right? The question you have to ask is when you watch me, what power source do I exist in? Okay, I got news for you. If it's Terry, we're all in trouble. But I know emphatically that it ain't. I don't have any ability whatsoever. I know what my best claim to fame is. Now, before you start to help other people, you better go start looking in the mirror and saying, what example do I show? Because until that example ex exudes Christ, you're not going to get used. Which is great! Because if you can do that, if you can honestly look in the mirror, ooh, look at that. If you can honestly look in that mirror and say, I don't see Christ, go find somebody who's walking with him and stick right in their back pocket. Become one with them. Be a part of their lives. Find out. Understand you're going to be confronted. You're going to be confronted. But if you can look in the mirror and not see Christ, praise God you could admit that. And then find somebody who will be your spiritual parent. Listen, if we are a member of the kingdom of God, all right, if you're a Christian, then God rules your life then and there will be the power of that person's life. If you're ruling your life, I know it.
All right? It's not because I'm this great grand poobah or preacher thing. It's because I am 46 years old and the majority of people I see who rules their life. My wife's already asked me that. Okay? It's not just verbiage. It's not just verbiage. Look what he says. The kingdom of God does not consist of words but of power. It's seen. All right? Now then, I want to give you the conclusion to this. Verse 21. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and the spirit of gentleness? Okay? What's the answer? What did the Corinthians answer? Huh? They didn't. We don't know. I can tell you, but that's further study. Do you see what I'm saying? If you want me to be your spiritual parent, you've got to ask yourself this question. Do you want me to be gentle and loving? Or do you want me to use a rod? I've had people who come and say, you know what? It feels like you're using a rod on me. And you know what? I probably am. The ones who've asked me that. Why? Is it my fault? Okay. We like to shoot the messenger. We like to shoot the messenger. And when I read this, Paul says, beloved saints, the choice is yours. What would you do? What do you want? We've already, we know this zeal, right? My zeal is to present every man complete in Christ, right? That's my zeal. That's Paul's zeal. That's all the Old Testament, New Testament writers and all the rest of it. Well, you can't get rid of zeal. All right? So, if you don't want them to use the rod, what should probably be the dominating thing in your life, our life? I like that. I like that. There is no answer here. But this is the father. This is a parent's heart. Because a a parent will use a rod when it's necessary to discipline. And, and love and gentleness when that's called for. When that's called for. But understand this, the decision is the child's, is the child's. Ask ask my kids, if they obey everything, it's great, isn't it? If they don't, great has left the building. Why? It It gets bad. Why would you think it would be any less with your king of kings and lord of lords? He says, you can call him Abba Father. Can't you? Our Father who art in heaven, holy be thy name. Right? Well, you expect him not to spank you? You know what I rejoice as a pastor, as a brother in Christ, is what the scripture says, your sin will find you out. You know that text has never let me down. 
has never let me down. Listen. My brother Paul showed me something here. I don't know if he showed you guys anything, but he showed me something. He showed me something that I never dreamed that I would have. I have a care, I have a compassion for you people that I never dreamed that I would have. You know what, and I think about some of you I have brought forth. Some of you I warn. I love every single one of you. I would gladly be spent or expended for every single one of you. That is not me. I have not that capability. I had no desire for that capability. It is not a list on the one million things to achieve in my lifetime. And I want the pattern of my life to be an example for you. The Apostle Paul cared so much. He was willing to teach them, but he was also willing to discipline them, to bring them into conformity of the pattern as it should be. We are taught so we can teach, apply, and set an example. Let us reproduce. Let us be fathers to many, parents to many, and one of thousands of instructors to all.